If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Romans. Romans 5 will be there in just a bit. We have been talking about grace and receiving, appropriating grace, and it's been such a blessing in the last uh, two, three weeks to, to hear stories from many of you about what God is doing, as maybe you uh, not just have gotten into the wheelbarrow, but having gotten into the wheelbarrow that we talked about a few weeks ago, now you're starting to trust to receive, as it says in Romans, what God says is already true about you by his grace, by his grace. And, and we're going to continue this morning looking at God's grace. And, and what does that mean for me today? What does that mean for me on October 14th, right? How will I leave here differently because of God's grace? And, and I was thinking of that uh, this past weekend, the last 48 hours or so at home. Uh, we've had a bit of a, uh, an electrical issue, power issue Friday night about... 7 p.m., lights kind of flickered in our neighborhood, and, and, and it was very interesting. The first time we've been here 20 years, first time ever, it just went to half power. Half power. Very interesting. You know, uh, depending on what room you were in, there was power or not, and, and we're just kind of walking around, you go outside the neighborhoods, you know, everyone kind of, hey, do you have power? You know, it's just half. It's just half, and, and, and the lights that are on aren't even on fully. So it has that sleepy haze, that, that dim, if you ever have dimmer lights and you go halfway and just kind of feel sleepy, right? So, so our house has this half-lit sort of vibe. And then I go into, the, into our bathroom, and in our bathrooms we have a vanity with three light bulbs, and, I, and I, you know, there's, there's power there, but it's very interesting. I don't know how the systems all work on the grid, but only two out of three are lit. Only two out of three are lit, right? And... And I'm thinking about that, and then this is where, where you know, as, as a pastor and someone who teaches, you, everything's an illustration, right? Everything's an illustration. So I look at two out of three, I'm like, you know what? I think that's kind of like my life and maybe our life. All three are supposed to be lit at full power, but how many times in my life or your life are only two lit? And they're lit, but they're not even, they're not even fully charged, they're not even exhibiting all the light and, and, and doing what they're supposed to do fully, right? And I think of that, and I was thinking of that in terms of grace. Grace is one of those words in the church, we're saved by grace. And, and, and again, we've been looking at this grace into sanctification because I kind of think that many of us, if, if you look at the three light bulbs, grace and salvation is sort of one light bulb. Right? You kind of equate it to salvation, and then you move forward, doing your best for Jesus in your best efforts, and you sort of leave grace behind. And I wonder how many of us sort of look at that, and, and, and I'm like, you know what, I think, that's, I think that's it. And my heart for us is that maybe as you're going through this, this series on grace into sanctification, you're realizing, man, I've only had two out of three lit. And the ones that are lit aren't even, it's like I'm sleepy as a believer. Right? <laughs> I'm walking around like how many of us as believers kind of walk around in a daze, kind of sleepy. You're like, yeah, there's enough. I can get by, right? The main things are working. We had power to the, to the refrigerators. So the main things are working. The food wasn't going to go bad. You know, and the TV flickered a little bit. I'm like, oh, the TV, right? 
And, and you're wondering, okay, so we had the main things are good. The rest of the house, some, some, some of the rooms were completely black. And I'm like, okay, I'm like, okay, Lord, is that like our life? Is that like our life where you want us, you have three bulbs and you want them all working and you want them all functioning as they should, but somehow we settle? We settle because really quickly, right, when it was half power, we figured out what worked and what didn't work, and right away we just adjusted. It's amazing how quickly we can adapt. So we adapted, and we just kind of kept limping along, getting by, till about 2 o'clock yesterday afternoon, when as they fixed it for 90% of the people, ours went completely dead. Right? If you ever call, uh, if you ever look on the outage report, right? So initially it was like 34 or 32, and then they they came. I saw the crews on another street. Power went out. I'm like, okay, they must be fixing it because they killed it to everyone. And then I'm like, wait, that two literally across the street that way has power now. So I look back on, and that 32 became eight. And it's just literally our street, the only street in Ojai, eight of us, no power, zero power all, all the way through. To some must have come on like two in the morning, three in the morning. So then, you know, with no power, then I do the whole generators and we get five extension cords and we can get along. And I just was thinking, how many of us kind of just get along? Right? Okay, two out of three, it's enough for me to brush my teeth, enough for me to do my thing and just get through life. But I think if... If we understand grace, we start to smile a little. We start to realize, I think God has more for us. Amen? I think God has so much more for us, and it's rooted in his grace. I love Matthew 5, 14 and 16. He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put light, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. What is my prayer from that verse? Is that as you appropriate God's grace, your light will shine. Your light will shine. Right? Now, why, why doesn't it maybe shine as, as it shouldn't? Honestly, sometimes it's just willful disobedience. It's just willful disobedience. The choices we make affect our, our light shining. Other times I'm realizing more and more... It's just lack of knowledge. You've never been taught. You never fully have investigated what Scripture says, even about grace. So you just don't know. You just don't know all that God has for you according to his riches in grace, right? And so that's why we're spending the time so that your light can shine. So you have to have the knowledge. At a certain point, we talked about this, you agree. And then at a certain point, guys, here's, here's even where it's going to come to. Just forewarning at the end of this. If you're going to exercise biblical faith, even in the air of grace, at a certain point, you have to trust. At a certain point, you're going to have to trust what God says is already true about you by his grace, because of his grace. Because we've seen that you're standing in grace. You're already standing in it positionally. If you're a believer, you're standing in grace. So at a certain point, if you're going to live victoriously, if your life is going to shine, you're still going to have to trust every day. Every moment of every day, you're going to have to have this walk of faith and trust where you say, nope, this is what God says about me. This is what God says. This is what God says, right? Romans 5.17 says, For if by the trespass of the one man, 
death reigned through that one man. It's talking about Adam. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So last week, just a quick review, we saw a relationship between receiving God's grace, trusting God's grace, taking it, right, holding on to it like this, this is my possession, receiving God's grace and reigning in life, victorious life, Right? We talked, we asked a question last week, we talked about it. How many of us see Christianity as something to just endure versus enjoy? Endure versus enjoy, because Jesus says in John 10, 10 what? I came that you may have life and have it what? Abundantly. That to me leans a little bit more towards the enjoyment camp. Amen. It doesn't mean that we we don't have trials and tribulations, but it means at its core, because of God's grace, as we receive it, we can actually experience abundant life. And here's the crazy thing. You can actually enjoy being a Christian. Some of you are like, really? You can actually enjoy being a Christian? Now, some of you are like, that doesn't make sense. Well... I've been in ministry for almost 30 years, and in that time, I have come across a lot of people who will amen to abundant life and amen to new creation, but by golly, they're just not enjoying life. They're just not enjoying life, and this has nothing to do with prosperity. This has nothing to do with burying your head. This at the core, they're not enjoying life. You know the word enthusiasm, right? Enthusiasm. En theos. En means in. Theos means God. So enthusiasm. So who should be the most enthusiastic people on this planet? Those who are in God, in Christ. And yet we slide into the endurance camp. Right? We see Christianity as a Spartan race. (laughs) Right? You don't know a Spartan race? It's like... Five miles up and down hills with obstacles, obstacles. Or we see Christianity like whitewater rafting, right? You're cruising along, and then you hear the rumble. And then you gear up, and you go through the class one, two, three, four, and you say, and then it's calm. And you're laughing, and then you hear it again. And you gear up. And the guide tells you how you're going to make it through this. You're going to hit that wall. You're going to bank this way, right paddle, left paddle. And you go, ah! And then it's calm. Is that your life? Is that how we meant it to be? You know, I mean, it's kind of like, okay, why don't we have this abundant life? Why aren't we at their core enjoying being Christian? Enjoying it. It doesn't mean we don't have a heart for what's happening in the country or the world or the lost or poverty, any of that. That's, that, that can be gut-wrenching, heartfelt. Yes, we can, we can just be compassionate and heartbroken about that. But that doesn't mean at the core you don't have joy. Because the fruit of the Spirit, joy in our life is a fruit of the Spirit. It's not circumstance-driven. Joy is really rooted in who you are in God's grace. Really who you are in God's grace, Right? I love this quote. We shared it last week. Too many of us have thought the grace of God was equal to the forgiveness of God. 
No. The grace of God is far greater than simple synonym for the forgiveness of God. That does not diminish the forgiveness of God, which is, of course, majestic and priceless. It is just the first taste we get of the grace of God. And we are to receive of the abundance of that grace. We're talking about living in God's grace. Receiving God's grace at salvation was just the first step. Just the first step. We saw the Apostle Paul. We focused last week. His testimony, right? 1 Timothy 1.12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the Apostle Paul, very honest. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. We looked at the Apostle Paul last Sunday and we asked the question, how is it even possible that the Apostle Paul was living victoriously with his past? This past. And we looked, right? Acts 22, I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women, throwing them into prison. As the high priest and all the council can themselves testify, I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. I, too, was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And then when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. Woo, you want a guy with a past? You want a guy who had guilt and shame and baggage? Baggage? How was he able to get past everything he had done to the church? Putting them in prison, beating them, forcing them to blaspheme, casting a a vote against them for death. This was the church. This was the church. And we know in Acts 9, he meets Jesus. He has this conversion experience. And now Saul, the persecutor, becomes Paul, the preacher. But here's the crazy thing. He still had his past, didn't he? And somehow or another, Paul the preacher had to make peace with Saul the persecutor. How is that possible? The grace of God. Only by the grace of God. We saw 1 Corinthians 15, right? I love that. This, uh, we saw it as a victory verse. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. We saw last week, that verse has been so twisted into sort of this, oh, I am what I am. Oh, woe is me. That is not that verse. That is a victory declaration. Amen? This is Saul, the persecutor, becoming Paul the preacher. And Paul the preacher saying, you know what? By the grace of God, 
That's a declaration, guys. He used his past as a testimony. He used his past to glorify God. Amen? See, a lot of us in the church, we got it flipped somewhere. Where we all have, you know, if you want to call it the B.C. days. We all got the B.C. days. Things, you know, like E. Anyone have an E? Or two? Or a file cabinet of E's? Right? Right? Thank you for your honesty in the back, right? But then we get saved, and somehow or another, who we were before Christ becomes a shackle. Becomes a a constant source of guilt and shame still. Instead of doing what Saul did and Paul now does, using who we were as a testimony to God's grace. You're on this side of God's grace, and you're like, you know what? Hey, let me just share a story. This is who I was, but by the grace of God, and I am what I am, you got to be able to own that, guys. Then you turn your past into a present testimony. Too many of us are bound by our past. God wants to redeem it so that you can go into this community Share what he did in his grace, and somebody in this community is going to go, really? Wow. Wow. But what do we do? When when we're shackled by guilt and shame and embarrassment? How are you doing? Good. Fine. No problems. And we put this front on, and, and, and because we don't want to go there, and I understand we don't live in our past. We're not talking about living in our past. But sometimes we have too much of a pendulum swing where we, we, we don't even acknowledge it, and that's the very thing that God wants to use is his testimony. That's the very thing, guys. That's the story that this community needs to hear. That there are people in the Ojai Valley that have been redeemed and saved by the grace of God. Who will acknowledge I was a persecutor, I put people to death, I tortured people, I had forced them to blaspheme, but by the grace of God, and I am what I am. Whew. Right? It's a victory declaration. Now, we also touched on the question about, okay, so how did the believers feel about that? Because we saw the variety of reactions. Some people actually were suspicious. Some people were still fearful. Isn't this the guy? Some people praised. Right? Here's the thing. You cannot get bound up in the fear of man and what they're going to think about you. We're still bound up by the fear of man in the church. The Apostle Paul had to settle the issue that by the grace of God, even when he showed up at church the first day, Even when he showed up at church the first day, surrounded by some people whose relatives might be in prison still, surrounded by some people who he may have been responsible for killing their aunt or uncle, surrounded by some people that just were not too happy to see him in church. Suddenly that one another gets real, huh? That's even like 2018 present tense for this valley. It's going to get real quick, quick, real, right? Are we, going to, are we willing to accept one another as we have been accepted? We looked at that in the summer. So how was Paul, the preacher, 
how was he able to walk into the church knowing that probably, I'm guessing, Scripture doesn't say, but I'm guessing there was a pretty high percentage that weren't thrilled initially with him. How would you deal with it? Would you even go to church? Would you show face? Because here's the crazy thing. If you read the story of when Saul became Paul, God didn't send him to Africa. God didn't send him far, far away to people who, who didn't know who he was. Paul, uh, Paul was kept right in Jerusalem and Damascus, the very areas where he was his worst. Why would God do that? I believe it's so God gets greater glory. Right in the middle of it, where everyone would know his past, where people weren't going to be angry, people are going to want to kill him, people are going to want to take vengeance, right into that very hostile environment, God says, stay here as a testimony to my grace. How was he able to do that? Well, the Apostle Paul, at a certain point, guys, had to trust that by the grace of God, he had to trust. He had to trust. He had to trust. When even the believers didn't like him and didn't want to be around him and were angry at him and suspicious, Paul couldn't get caught up in the fear of man. He had to settle the issue vertically, what we call around it, vertically with God. By the grace of God, I am what I am. His confidence, his peace, his abundant living, his victory had to come from him trusting, trusting the grace of God for who he was as a new creation. That's where we are. That's where we are. What are some core things I thought of? I said, okay, what, what are some things we've talked about it? Uh, briefly, but I just want to review. What was Paul having to settle? Okay, what did, what did he have to settle? Let's look at these three, three foundational truths. We, we've talked about two. We're going to look at one today. Romans 5.1 says this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice. There's the rejoicing. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. First thing, he had to settle, settle his justification. Justification, right? Here's a definition. I just, sometimes you come up with something that you just can't improve on. Here it is. Justification is God's declaration that all the demands of the law are fulfilled on behalf of the believing sinner through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Justification is a holy forensic or legal transaction. It changes the judicial standing of the sinner before God. In justification, God imputes the perfect righteousness of Christ to the believer's account, then declares the redeemed one fully righteous. Around here, I kind of condense that to justification, not guilty, fully righteous. It's a legal court. It's just a declaration once and for all. So if you have put your faith in Jesus, as you sit here, you are justified, which means what? Not guilty. Okay, let's add together. I am justified, which means not guilty, fully righteous. Okay, like one of you smiled. The other's like, really? Is that true? Is that true? You mean the judge has declared me once and for all not guilty, fully righteous? 
got to trust it. Otherwise, you're going to get caught up in works. You're going, to keep, you're going to keep trying to prove to God somewhere, somehow. You're going to prove to him that you earned it. You're going to prove that you're not so bad. You're going to prove that you should be. You're going to, it's going to slide into works really quick. If you do not settle the issue of justification, that you are what? Not guilty, fully righteous. Whew. You're going to slide right into trying to prove something, trying to show something, trying to be a good, moral Christian. You don't, if you don't receive that, you don't receive that. We talked about last Sunday, justification, not guilty, fully righteous, means God's emoji for you is a happy one. Think about that. Some of you were challenged last week. I said, what is God's emoji when he's looking at you? If you could pick all the emojis out there, how do you think God's looking at you at this very second? Which emoji would you pick? Which emoji would you pick? Okay, we got a happy face. Okay, Mark's got the emoji dancing. He would do like a meme or something, right? You got to settle the issue of God's emoji about you. Because of grace. Because of grace. See, if, if you're walking around and Mark's emoji and his view of himself through God's eyes is this and this and this versus Bill who's walking around with emoji in his... Uh, okay, do you believe there will be a qualitative difference in their life? Enjoyment, enduring. Abundance, agony. It's all grace. It's all grace. What's God's emoji? How's he looking at you right now? This second... Not in your head, but this second. Is he pleased with you? Okay. Three or four, yes. Middle section. Back section. <laughs> you got to settle the issue, guys. Is he pleased with you? Because Not because of your works, but because you've been justified. Not guilty. And fully righteous. Fully right, clothed in the righteous, right? Right? What else did he have to, to settle, the Apostle Paul? Second Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. He is a new creation. The old is gone. The new is here. What do we call that? Regeneration. It's a new birth. Right? When it says you're a new creation, the Bible means it has never existed before. That's new. New, it's like um, a car assembly line. Sometimes you get a new model, but it's just a, an improvement on, a, on an existing model line. And then you get a brand new model. The prototype brought into production never existed before. See, a lot of us live in sort of this, I'm a new creation. Well, that means I'm just in renovation. I got all my old, my old model. And I'm just, God says I'm a new creation, which means I just have to fix up my old model. That is not what this means. He says, you're a new creation. He says, you're fresh off the assembly line. You, in Christ, have never existed before. Amen? Come on. You, in Christ, have never existed before in the literal spiritual reality of who you are. What is this? Here's a definition. Regeneration, then, may be defined as an act of God. 
whereby he bestows upon the believing sinner new life. This life is God's own life, the imparting of his own nature, not that we become God's. God himself is the source and bestower of his life, so that believers are said to be partakers of the divine nature. 2 Peter 1.4, created in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2.10, born of God, John 1.13, born again, John 3, 3 and 7, a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17. We read that, we amen that, the question is, do you trust it? Do you trust it? Did you wake up this morning with newness of life? trying to be sanctified in this new creation, taking this new, new model for a test drive, trying to figure it all out, all the bells and whistles, right? Right? Can I share your story about your braking? Yeah. So we make, we make fun of about his orange pumpkin car. So his car, Bill's car, has this feature on it where it's automatic braking if it senses something, right? It'll just sense it and stop. So he tells me that he decides to test this new feature by rolling his car at his house or your garage, a pillar on your garage. I don't know if his wife is listening, but um, so he does this. He's like, well, it says it's a new feature. It'll stop automatically. I'm just going to roll it right at my house. (laughs) And praise the Lord it worked, huh, right? (laughs) But that's kind of what we're talking about. Your new creation, sanctification, isn't just this whole lifelong thing of like dealing with the old person and trying to clean up the old person. It's like, I'm a new creation. I've got to figure out the new features in this. Because the Bible says I've been given everything I need for life and godliness. Amen? The Bible says I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Amen? The joy is trying to figure out what that means. The joy as a believer, enjoying your life as a believer, is trying to figure out all the features and all the stuff that God put in this new creation. What does this do? What does that do? Right, your car. When Marco took us on the test drive here with his car, and I, and after one time after worship, and we're all, you know, we're like little kids in the back seat. Ooh, ooh, uh, ooh, ooh, ooh. It was like this ooh and ah moment. Why don't you see yourself that way? You're a brand new model that never existed before. You're a new creation. You're justified. You're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Just walk in that and figure out what the buttons do. That's freedom. But you know at the core, what is that? It's grace. It's grace. In Ephesians 5, I'm sorry, Ephesians 1 says this. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. So Paul had to settle the issue of justification. He had to settle the issue of regeneration. Third, adoption. Adoption. Saul the persecutor was adopted into God's family by God's grace. And look what I, I love this verse. It says, 
This is what he, God, wanted to do. And it gave him, God, great pleasure. Here's the crazy thing. This adoption applies to all of us. And look at that verse. It's what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure to adopt you. He wanted to, and it gave him great pleasure to adopt you into his family. He wanted to, and it gave him great pleasure to adopt you into his family. See, here's the crazy thing. God could have given us justification without the privilege of adoption. He could have forgiven our sins, given us legal standing, right legal standing, without making us his children. He could have justified us without making us his children. Similarly, he could have made us spiritually alive through regeneration and yet not yet members, yet not members of his family. Think about that. We could have been declared not guilty, fully righteous, and not been a member of his family. We could have been born again, new nature, and still not made a member of his family. The crazy third pillar in God's grace is that we're adopted. We're adopted. Now, here's, here's, here's an interesting thing. Romans 8 says this. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear... But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Here's the thing. And we're going we're to spend this very important. This adoption into God's family. How many are familiar with the phrase, we're all children of God? Through faith in Jesus, you're a child of God. We even sing that song, Child of God, right? We're going to understand really what Paul was saying more detailed because if you understand really what he means by adoption, my prayer for you this morning is the bags, the baggage you think you're carrying, you'll be free. And you'll see yourself radically different if you understand what it means to be adopted as a son, right? See, John 1, 12 and 13 says this, But to all who believed in him and accepted him, He gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Spiritual birth, being born again, right? That word children is a very specific word in the Greek. It's technon, right? It's offspring. It talks about a love relationship between parents and children, natural or spiritual. So he says you're children of God. Okay, put your faith in Jesus you become a child of God. You have a tecton relationship. Familial. Right? And here's the thing. A lot of us, I think, if we're not careful, we say, oh, I'm a child of God. Or we see verses, we're children of God. The challenge with that, guys, is I wonder in my life or in your life, if you say I'm a child of God or we're children of God, how many of us does that actually become a hindrance to spiritual maturity. Because we always see ourselves as childish. As a child. Okay? So, in the relational, familial sense, yes, we are all, all children of God. But don't let that phrase, like, oh, I can never grow up. Right? I think there's sometimes that, that word children 
actually can limit us if we're not if we're not clear. And that's why this is really important. Look in Galatians three. It says this: For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as you of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into, your, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. There is a distinction. Now, there's, there's, there's synonyms, but there's overlap, but there's also some distinction that you really have to see yourself. Not only are you a child of God through faith in Jesus, those verses that we just looked at also says, more specifically, you've been adopted as a, as a what? A son. A son. I only put, go back to Galatians 3. For you are all sons of God. That's a different word. Children is technon. Sons is huyas. It's son, which means typically an adult male. What's going on here? We're all children of God, but now he says we're all sons? We're all sons? Right? And then go to Galatians 4, Eileen. It says to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. We us. So we put our faith in Jesus. We're spiritually born into the family of God. We're all children of God. But then he says, the Apostle Paul says, wait, wait. Even more than that, you've been adopted as sons. He does not say sons and daughters. He does not say sons and daughters. What's going on? Why is this so important? Right? The word adoption, right there in that word adoption as sons, it's actually based on huyas, son. It means to place as a son. The placing of a son, right? Maybe this will help you. Adoption is a word of position rather than relationship. Adoption is not a putting into the family by spiritual birth, but a, but a putting into the position of sons. The believer's relation to God as a child results from the new birth, whereas adoption is a divine act whereby one, is already, uh, by one who is already a child is, through redemption from the law, placed in the position of an adult son. Okay, you put your faith in Jesus. Spiritual birth, you're in the family of God, you're a child of God. But beyond that, you wonder, where do I fit in this family? Where do I fit? You might come to church and go, what's the pecking order here? Who's the in crowd? Who's the out crowd, right? Where do I land in here? We go to these social settings. Who's the pecking? Who's the alpha? Who's the whatever, right? Where do I land? What's my place here? Biblical adoption tells us where our place is. Our place is that we're adopted as what? Sons. Sons. The Roman Christians in Rome would have been on the floor. 
they would have just had their, their, their entire upbringing, their entire cultural context mind blown. Did he just say that when you put your faith in Jesus, you're adopted as a son? See, in Rome, adoption was radically different than what we think it is. We think adoption is a little baby taken out of maybe a challenging situation, put into a nurturing, a little baby from one environment to another for the, process, for the purpose of nurture. Roman adoption primarily dealt with adult sons, and the purpose was succession and inheritance. A father would scan Look at slaves, look at other family members, look at non-related people. And he goes, I need someone. I need an heir. I need someone to succeed to my throne, my position in government. I need an adult male son. See, back in that day, there was a two-class system. Sons and daughters. Daughters were rarely adopted. Happened very occasionally, but very rare. It was all about the sons. I need an adopted son to inherit and to succeed. And I'm going to vet them, and I'm going to be as sure as I can that this son that I adopt, I'm going to be happy with and is going to carry on my line. All about the sons. All about the sons. So the Apostle Paul says, hey, believers, not only are you a child of God, your place in the family is as what? A son. A son. That's why when it says there's neither male nor female, junior, right? He wipes out all the class systems. He wipes out all the second class, first class, third class. And everyone is placed into God's family as a son. The women must have been like, are you kidding me? And the men, are you kidding me? Slaves. Free. He blows it all up. And he says, you know what? Put your faith in Jesus. You're a child of God. But not only that, you're an adopted son. Which, what's my place? Your place is an adopted son. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That is hard to understand. What are three elements of biblical uh, Roman adoption? The adopted person lost all rights in his old family and gained all the rights of a fully legitimate son in his new family. In the most literal sense and in the most binding legal way, he got a new father. Next one. He became an heir to his new father's estate. No matter how many other sons there were at the, at the time or how many were born thereafter, he was co-heir with them. This was not subject to change. The old life of the adoptee was completely erased. All debts were legally canceled. He was regarded by the law as a new person. And the Apostle Paul says, uh, that's you. And that's me. That's why the Roman believers would have just pick up jaw from mouth, or from ground. Men, women, slaves. Jew, Greek, we've all been adopted as sons. Sons. Your place in the church is as a son. A son. That's why his emoji is pretty darn happy. 
He sees you as a son. He sees you as a son. I love this quote. In Roman culture, a wealthy, childless man could take a slave youth and make that slave his child and heir. The adopted person was no longer a slave. He became a full heir to his new family, guaranteed all legal rights to his father's property. I love this. He was not a second-class son. He was equal to all other sons, biological or adopted. Some of us are burdened in our Christian walk because we're second-class Christians. And we're still trying to measure up. And we're still trying to compare ourselves to the pastor or to the Bible leader or to somebody else. Being adopted as a son means you're on equal footing. We're on equal footing. I told you before, I'm just up here exercising my gift. Some of you have other gifts that you exercise Monday through Saturday. But positionally, in the family, hey, how's it going? Right? We're sons. Our place in the family, we're all on equal footing. We're just sons, adopted as sons. Right? Right? We're still, yeah, we still, we still got our genders, right? But positionally, God sees us as adopted as sons because in the Roman culture, only sons mattered. Only sons mattered. And you are placed as a son. All your debts are canceled. You're in. You show up. You're in. You're in. You're adopted as a son. Right? Warren Wisby says this, Adoption is not the way you get into God's family. Adoption is the way you enjoy God's family. Adoption is the act of God by which he gives each of his children an adult standing in his family. The instant you were saved, you received an adult standing, which means you have all the adult privileges. You also have adult responsibilities. This means that you and I cannot use the length of time we have been saved as an excuse for being poor Christians. Someone may say, well, I've only been saved for four or five years. You can't expect too much of me. God says, no, I expect of you what I expect of every one of my children. I am going to give you adult privileges, and I expect from you adult conduct and the fulfillment of adult responsibilities. That is what adoption is. Adoption means that the instant you were born into his family, God gave you an adult standing. Amen? Come on. Come on. I mean, some of us have spent your whole Christian life trying to get there. When you were there all along, you've been there. You've been there. You already arrived. Your place is at the table. How many of you have ever gone to a social setting where you've been afraid to get to the table because you're afraid of, or am I there? I mean, can, I, can I sit there with them? You're an adopted son. Pull up a chair. Pull up a chair. Oh, my gosh. Just, just changes everything. And, I, and, and this is from a guy... Who, who I've shared with you before, grew up very performance, very merit system. Oldest sister, valedictorian, off to the Air Force Academy. Second, my older brother, valedictorian, off to the Naval Academy. Okay, third in line. Always trying to wonder if I measured up. Always trying to, doubting my place in the family, my full acceptance in the family. Do I have to do them? Do I have to match them? What if I don't really like school? 
What if I'm a techie guy? What if I want to do that? Is that okay? Is my place secure? And then I bring that into the church. Well, why do you want to be a pastor? Oh, now you feel like your place is set because you got this title. Is that why you want to do this, Richie? You're up here because you feel like now this is still, it's the Christian version of a lawyer. Status, title, esteem, significance. So we got to settle this who you are in Christ, justification, regeneration, adoption. Otherwise, you're going to get reeled into all kinds of stuff out in the world where you're just fishing for esteem and significance from somebody or something. My job, my status, my house, you name it. What are you fishing for to make you feel better about yourself? To make you feel better about your place? When all along, God says in his word, you know where your place is? As a son. (laughs) My son, right? Remember when when Jesus got baptized, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Remember that? Huyas. Same word as us. (laughs) Same word as he uses for us. This is my son. Now, I know for the ladies, it's like, okay, i got to really wrap my mind around this. doesn't mean it's not true, though. You are seen, okay? You are seen by God in his family as an adopted son. That's your place. That's your privilege. That's your place and privilege, right? Love that. I love that. Wearsby says, how do we enjoy adoption? By believing it's true. I love this quote. How do we enjoy it? By believing that it is true. Adoption is not a feeling. It is a fact. Just believe that it is true. Look at yourself in the mirror and say, you are being treated as an adult, not as a little baby. God does not pamper his children. He will have no pampered children at all because pampered children cannot be used for his glory. So just believe it and say, thank God I have been adopted. I have an adult standing before God. All these privileges are mine. My oldest daughter calls that adulting, this verb out there, right, adulting. I think in the church we have to do some adulting. And you know what adulting means? Accepting that you're an adult, that you are placed in God's family as an adult adopted son with adult privileges and adult responsibilities. You're an adult. It's time to start adulting. I love that, right? It's who we are already. It's who we are already. The challenge is, do you trust that? Do you really trust it? Do you trust it, right? By the grace of God, I am what I am. Right? I love this testimony. Testimony of a lady speaking about her relationship. She says, the reason there was never any consistent life change in me is because my thinking process was never touched or renewed. My Christian walk was erratic because my responses were continually dependent on how I felt, what I thought, how people responded to me, and what my circumstances were. So one day, I would be up and full of God because I felt great, and Chuck and I were getting along. But the next, I would be down and full of self because I felt lousy. Chuck had said something horrible to me, and things around me were out of control. I call this the Christian yo-yo syndrome. See, a lot of us, feelings-driven. 
grace has to be received and held on to every day. Trusted, despite your feelings, despite what someone says, despite your circumstances. By the grace of God, I am what I am. I am what I am. Before we sing a song, before we close, I just want to show you a video. And my prayer is that this video communicates to many of us, maybe to all of us, who are at a place where it's time, it's just time to adult, for some adulting, and to accept who we are in Christ. Let's play that. Father, we thank you for who we are. By the grace of God, I am who I am. Justified. Born again. Adopted as a son. Into the family of God. Father, my prayer for us this morning is that we would truly receive, take hold of these truths. Your truths. How you see us. What is already true as we sit here based on the authority of the word of God. It's already true. By faith, we receive it. By faith, we hold on to it. By faith, we take possession of what is ours already. We're going to sing a song. The title is, Who You Say I Am. And as you sing this song, if you are at a place where you are saying, I am who I am. And if you want to do something This is a physical representation, a physical declaration between you and your Abba Father. Then you stand during this song and you sing it and you receive who you are by the grace of God, who you are. You sing this song as truth. You sing this song as as a declaration that on the word of God, by the grace of God, I am who I am.